We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. And last night, Lakers had a game. Not a lot of the main guys played. LeBron, AD, Russ, Pat Bev, Kendrick Nunn all sat. And those nights are interesting nights in preseason. Darvin Ham, after the game, talked about you know the importance of providing a platform to the back-end guys to see who can contribute and who can't. And so today, we're going to talk about some camp battles. We were excited about that going into camp and not the kind of camp battles that the Golden State Warriors are having right now, but the type in which uh, guys earn a job. You, before we get into that, what do you think about the the Draymond tape? We were just talking about this before, before the pod. So the tape looks bad. The tape looks bad, right? It's just like, that's one of those things where you can sell it however you want to sell it when there's no evidence of what actually happened. There are a couple of depictions, like in retrospect of that, that came out right after that were like, yeah, <laughs> that's not what happened at all. The idea, though, that, OK, it escalated in a way that it shouldn't have. Check. Right. That Draymond took it too far. Check. And shocking. <laughs> yes, shocking indeed. And then this idea of like, okay, well, whatever was said, it was unwarranted and this, this, that, and the other. And it's just like, okay. But to actually see it, it's like, oh, oh my. It's sort of funny too, right? Because Draymond's one of those dudes where it's just like, look, this looks very similar to what happens on NBA courts all of the time in terms of actual games, right? Draymond be walking up on dudes. He'd be mm -hmm. walking up on the ref. He speaks his mind. And in invades personal space, yes. <laughs> but, but this is one of those times where it's just like, oh, this is the, if there were no consequences of the game, Right. And like it actually being the platform of the game, you could imagine that this would be the next step in a lot of Draymond confrontations that have happened before. Mm. Right. Because it seems like this is the level in which his competitiveness or whatever takes over and, and he's just ready. So I don't know, man. It's it's do you think 
So there was reporting this morning and after the fact that it's just like, oh, they were going to handle this internally and that there was potential that like, okay, well, they don't play until Sunday when they play the Lakers and that they were going to have a day off from practice today and then probably resume on Saturday that there was some thought that this might like blow over or they'll handle it internally. But now the tape is out. Like, I know we're on a sidetrack here, but do you think he gets suspended? Do you think that he gets held out for like regular season games like internally? Because or like, do you think they're going to have to change up from what they were presenting publicly right. now that the public knows more? Yeah, it's interesting. It's going to be an interesting test case on the value of tape, like actually seeing it uh, like this isn't this is news to us. This is not news to the people within the Golden State Warriors who determined there was reporting just a day before that he was unlikely to be suspended for that. And so all that's changed is we saw it. They, they've seen it. They knew what know what happened. In fact, they know what was said. They have a lot more. De- yes, yep. they were right there. So that's team's internal politics. The fact that it got out is wild, like the, just the video itself getting out. Um, and so I don't think they will, but I don't feel strong in that opinion that that's going to work out that way. What do you think? It's hard for me to say, man. It's it's like it will be totally public pressure that I think would make them suspend him mm-hmm. at this point. It's the fact that it looks that it looks the way that that it looks, because like. Like you said, this was all private information before. And if they were going to move a certain way with it being private, it's like, OK, well, what are you standing on that? And so I'm just interested. It is a little monkey wrench, though, for like the Warriors. Now, for all the like, oh, they are the new Spurs, right? Like culture, 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 culture. And Draymond is a part of that culture. In his own way and a driver of a lot of the competitiveness, too, I think that that him and Steph and Clay sort of all bring in in their well in their own way. But I am as someone who lives up here, I am interested to see what the fallout is going to be if if there is any and and uh, to what degree. And now I think the game on Sunday is even that much more interesting. Right. Between the Lakers and the Warriors. But In segueing back, on Sunday, we expect there to be a lot of, like, basically the whole team is going to be back, right? Um, Lonnie Walker played. This this past game, we'll see if Troy Brown gets closer. It would seem unlikely that he would play. But the battles are full-on underway. And guys are really scrapping, I think, to try to find what their roles could be or can they carve out a spot in the rotation. And so we have seen three preseason games. What is the top camp battle that you've seen or where is your head at in terms of what looks more competitive right now around some of these these spots and who's sort of making headway in ways that you didn't really anticipate. So I think the starting five spot is the first spot that comes to mind for me. And that's been, it's probably the least impressive of the battles in terms of like, there haven't been a, a lot of great ships. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this today is 
I thought Thomas Bryant had probably the best game we've had from a five in these first three games. Again, this is a very different context. None of the main guys are playing, but it's also interesting from the perspective of a player. And I've been listening. I do a lot of the, you know, the interviews that the the guys do. I, you know, I'll edit some of that footage. And so I listen to what the guys say. Highly recommend it if if it's a uh, if it's something you want to know more about the Lakers. I think you can glean a lot of insight. And from listening to Thomas Bryant talk between those and the pre games and whatnot. It seems very clear to me that he wants to start. And of course he does. He should want to start, right? Um, he's someone who was doing very well in his career, uh, was set up for probably an MLE-ish type of payday, and then got a knee injury. And he's working his way back from that and has an opportunity to possibly earn a starting five spot. Now, I'm actually fascinated to see what direction we go in because how this five spot transpires is really going to say a lot about where we go this season. With like watching Lonnie Walker, for example, I think there's a non-zero chance that we don't start a traditional five at all and that it is AD at the five again because we've got so many perimeter players. There are so many guys that need minutes there. And if the fives, the true fives are not impressive in that role, I think there's an argument to be made, well, let's play the better player that's that's smaller. And so last night, Thomas Bryant, I thought, showed more of what he's capable of. Going up against Rudy Gobert, Minnesota played as all of their main guys. And TB was... He had three rim runs that, you know, he beat Gobert up the floor. He, um, you, you know, provides a, a certain amount of size and strength that other bigs don't have on the team. And so that's the first place I go to is, and last game, he didn't look good at all, right? He was playing with the the third stringers. The first game, I thought he was okay, especially in the rewatch. He mentioned this the other day on the pod. And so that's my first place I, I go to. I don't think that it, he, you know, took a decisive lead necessarily in that battle, but I thought that he played the best game of any five that we've had so far. So I think that's an interesting place to start just with that idea that he's played the best game of any five so far. I would probably rank it right next to maybe what Gabriel did as the starting center against the Suns. I thought Gabriel played well in what his asks were against DeAndre Ayton, right? And so that to me, so when we started to talk about this idea of camp battles and big men, um, my mind went to this idea of AD is the nominal power forward and who could be the guy who slots next to him and LeBron as the best fitting guy and and what that might look like within the context of who is played best. Right. And so my mind almost went to Gabriel first, Bryant second and Jones third which is super interesting to me considering Jones got the first chance to start, right? And, and mm. I would probably rank Wenyon and Bryant as very close and and Bryant might have the lead, right? Because I do think that he is the sturdier player and the stronger player and that will give AD more optionality within some of the lineups, but how do you see 
that combination with AD and then secondary LeBron, like how important do you see that as part of this decision and in figuring out the battle, right? Because mm-hmm. we think of battles a lot as, well, this dude is playing better than that dude, but this isn't tennis. It's not golf. It's not, a, <laughs> right. it's not a one-on-one game, right? It's how you fit within the context of these other lineups. And, and so how, how much does that play a part and does it shift where your head is around any of this at all? One of the really fascinating things about this Lakers team is I think there's valid arguments for a bunch of different directions. And this is one of those subtopics where that applies. So Wenyan, I like very much. I just don't think of him necessarily as a five. And maybe I should more on this team. Maybe that's going to be more of his role because in large part, like, so TB was never a guy that could really jump that high. And then post knee injury, that's, you know, he's got even less lift than before. and that five spot, one of the big responsibilities of it is to be in that center field, that deep drop type of coverage and protect anybody that comes your way around the rim. And there have been a few possessions. One of the knocks on TB over this preseason has been guys can go over the top of him. And that's something, you know, you want from your center to be able to protect in that spot. And if you're in that deep drop, you don't want to give up that look at the rim. But if you can't jump that high, there could be times where that happens. And so Wenyan is our best. Well, I think Wenyan's a better shot blocker than Damian Jones, not because he's more athletic, but I think he's got better timing um, and just he moves better, right? And so it's this philosophical question of if you start Wenyan, one of the dangers of that is the the strong guys. Guys can kind of push you around. I think you ask more of AD in terms of dealing with the big strong guys around the league. You could also probably run like hell, um, although that's something I like from TB as well. He runs the floor at least, but Wenyan's certainly faster. He's a faster player. But with, with TB, right, he gets he can deal with more of those strength uh, battles. I thought he did a great job against Gobert in his minutes against Gobert. I actually thought he outplayed him. And so it's an interesting question of when TB fits, when Wenyan fits, when Damian Jones fits. And I think that a lot of times it's going to be relative to the team across from them. But the one thing that really impressed me is Darvin's been talking a lot about running, running habits and both Wenyan and TB, I think have run the floor better than Damian Jones has. He's been a guy that's kind of brought up the rear a few times and he's capable, right? So that's just something I want to see from Jones. I don't want to act like he's a distant third or anything like that. But talk to me about him, about what you've seen from him so far. I don't want to say Jones has been disappointing, but I would say that I thought he looked better last season in what I saw from him with like the Kings than what he's shown so far in camp. And it's interesting because some of the stuff I'd heard from behind the scenes. And maybe you've heard similar things. And I wish Mike was here because he could speak to this as well with his proximity to the team. But I'd heard that Jones had been doing well in camp. And that has not shown up as much in the games, I think. Now, Jones is one of those players where, and I think this was a knock on him from the time that he was drafted with like the Warriors, right? He was, I think, the last first round pick. I believe so for the Warriors one one of those seasons is that a ton of um, athletic potential and ability, but that his instincts and how to leverage those, those tools weren't all the way there. And he seems like a guy who is caught in center field a lot. And his, he looks like he's thinking more than what I, than what is going to serve him well 
out there. He needs to be playing off of instincts a little bit more. And that's where I've been not as happy with his defense is that he's been one of those guys where it's just like, well, you're not contesting that mid range really, but you're not also rebounding well. So you're not recovering to the glass. Like you're in this middle area where I've thought, well, you're not really helping here and you're not really grabbing these rebounds and you're not really altering these shots like when you're in the drop and it's like okay well then what are you really doing now he's run the floor well at times but he hasn't shown that like oh i'm beating my guy up and down the court every single time and that to me is reflective not of his ability to do so it's that he is a step behind from he looks like he's still thinking and so the play yeah. moves on and he's not in it yet and that's sort of where I've been with Jones and and so I do think he's been third in terms of like all of the guys who have played center so far he's been third to me not counting mm. Anthony Davis cuz Anthony Davis is of course first amongst all of these guys regardless right but if we're talking Wenyon Bryant and Jones Jones has been third to me, and that's an interesting place that I did not expect to come from. And it's really more about Gabriel and Bryant sort of being what I thought that he might be and Jones being a little bit less. And it's just like, oh, well, this sort of upends my projections going Mm. in. Because as you know, I was sort of looking at Jones as being like, hey, Mm -hmm. I think Jones might be able to do, do some things. But the way that the games have played out, that's not how it's gone. And that's not something that's out of the question going forward, too. That can change. And I think your point about him thinking is something I'm noticing a lot on the offensive end. Defensively, I have relatively low expectations for him, which is part of the reason why, I I don't know, I'm curious if he ends up starting. But offensively, I think he's a really good offensive player and is one of the things I noticed on tape from him, both with us and then with the Kings, is he like times his roles and his like relocations to get open really well. He's a smart dude. uh, He graduated from Vanderbilt this past summer with like a degree in like architectural engineering, something like that. Right. It's like it's it's not like underwater basket weaving some BS degree. It was like, man, you went back to school to get that. So anyway, and you talk to him. He's like super bright guy. That's one of the things all of our big guys just. Yeah, really, really bright guys. And what I've noticed, though. Uh, and having kind of a familiarity with the offense that we're running, I've been watching him a lot of times and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to go here. Oh, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to go there. And it speaks to your point about thinking, right? And about – and once that becomes more – once that becomes more second nature for him and he gets more used to it, I think that we're going to see more shot opportunities, more more of his offensive game st- uh, step forward. But in, until then, we, we'll see. I, it's curious to see what Darwin values in that spot, in that other spot. So let's take a break, come back. We're going to get to some of the other camp battles. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So these types of training camp battles aren't always fair. The uh, uh, early training camp injury that... That ain't even uh, serious. Perhaps a visa issue. Uh, hopefully Dennis is back next week. Just to speak to Dennis really quickly, McMenamin did report that his issues have been cleared up. Right. And that he should be flying to the state soon and that he may even be in the Bay Area for Sunday's game. But we will see about that. But right. It seems like he's on his way, so he should be at camp soon, basically. He is, but he's missed it so far, right? As And yes. last night was Lonnie Walker's first game, and that's where I wanted to get to. Uh, he's a guy that over the – he was probably the one thing that we did this summer where I was like, eh, right? And from talking it out and from looking who took what amount of money for what reason, right? I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. Uh, but watching him, it's another type of – Oh, I get it. Like that dude is explosive. He he was okay. I thought he was really good on defense, which was exciting. Um, and but you can see if you're going to take a flyer on someone, you're going to take a flyer on someone like that. I totally get it. So talk to me about what you saw from Lonnie Walker's first game. Just athletic tools, man. Like, and we were uh, messaging back and forth about this during the game. Um, is that he definitely looked rusty? He spoke to that too in post game. He was like, felt like I was playing in Tim's. Well, you know, it's just like, look, I don't know how many games going back to youth basketball or AAU when Walker probably started to show that he was, you know, probably more athletic than a lot of other people and had the ability to to play play this game. I don't know how many times he shot four air balls in in a game, right? But <laughs> yeah. last night might have been the first time in a very long time that that has happened to Lottie Walker, right? He had that one possession where he shot a sideline three um, and then he airballed it and then the ball got kicked around some like loose ball scrum ended up right back in his hands and he, he shot another three and he airballed it again and I was just like, oh damn, Lottie Walker, what's <laughs> going on with you, bro? But what I saw from a guy was someone who knew exactly 
he was very comfortable in like what his skill set was, but he was not comfortable applying that skill set yet because he was super rusty. Well said. So I'm intrigued by him. And if he's going to compete defensively, then I'm even more intrigued by him because he has physical tools. Who's the shooting guard? I've been so bad with names lately. It's so bad. Um, Terrence Mm. Ross. Uh Okay, I see that. Yeah. Last season, we were talking about like potential. This was behind the scenes, you and me and Mike. And and I was talking, we were talking about, hey, like who might be potential guys that could help with the stretch run where you might be able to trade for someone, right? And I was looking at like, okay, well, is Terrence Ross a gettable guy from the Magic? And Ross is an explosive dude. He's a shooter. He's probably a better shooter than Walker. But Walker sort of reminds me of Ross in that he is a athletic dude who has very good feel for his own offense, who is not known to really compete very hard Mm -hmm. defensively. Right. And there's these guys all over the league. Like a lot of times they win six man of the year (laughs) if they Uh have really good offensive years. Right. And so Walker is probably at the lower end of guys who are on that scale who you would consider good, but he is of that same mold. And if he takes steps and has one of those nights where he hits four threes or has a great transition game or just has it going in some way, shape, or form, you could see that he could be a super helpful player. And then if there's a baseline level of competitiveness defensively, which I'm not sold on that yet after one game, he had a a good game defensively, but hey, that's one game. You got to do that night after night after night. But I could, I... I got the gist of like what they were going for in terms of the upside play of a guy like him. But Several guards didn't play right. last night. None didn't play. Patrick Beverly didn't play. And that gave Walker the chance to spread his wings a little bit. This is a camp battle now where it's just like Dennis hasn't even been here yet. I don't know where these minutes it's, are going to come come from, man. But there yeah. are guards that can play on this team. And I don't know how it's going to work. Look, man, you know, I, I got my drawn out rotations and whatnot, and this has been the thing that's flummoxed me, right, is how do you get all these guys guys some run? Because with the potential that Walker has, and one of the things that I see is that's a guy that can run alongside our main guys, and what he looks like when he's not the center of attention from the defense. This is something that Mike brought up that I thought was a very astute point was that Walker's a guy that you know is on the floor when he's out there. And so when you have to devote eyes and attention to LeBron and Anthony Davis, what does that look like? And I, I also see with the emphasis on that Darvin's put on our running habits and just the personnel that we have, there are several lineup versions that are guys just trucking, right? Just flying up and down the court of which he fits right into that. And so I'm curious to to see how that goes. But he's also, I would say, the sixth guard out of six guards on this team if I were ranking them. And that's more of a reflection that we actually have a pretty good stable of guards this year rather than anything against against Walker. But yeah, where the PT comes from, I'm just not entirely sure. So I if that's one of the reasons why, though, D, that I'm like, I I think 
AD at the five is on the table at the very least, simply because of this problem. Because if it's question between, we were talking earlier about TB versus Wenyon versus Damian Jones, there's another way to look at it and say, well, Lonnie Walker versus a Damian Jones, right? This is what we talked yeah. about last season, Pete. It's just like, we were like, well, look, these guys are better than DeAndre Jordan. They're better than mm-hmm. Dwight Howard, some of the guards. And it's just like, which way do you want to go? And I get that these guards can't make low man rotations, mm-hmm. which is what Frank Vogel was asking a lot of them to make, right? And it's why you were like, hey, we, the team needs to switch more or they need zone looks Keep or they need front. this, yeah. is that, and the other because they need, they need defensive help. Mm-hmm. They need defensive support from the scheme and what the asks are in order for them to play over the dudes who are not as good basketball at well at basketball and that was basically it that was the crux of last season's um dissonance between the roster and the scheme and 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 everything else this season i think that the big guys are better than they were last season i do too but the guards are too we still haven't seen Troy Brown. We still haven't seen Dennis Schroeder. And I can already tell you that the guards are going to play more, right? And this is where this is where the one thing that was said during the preseason that I thought, or like from the front office or just some of the quotes that came out in media day and, and in advance of, and there was reporting and sources and how guys are viewed and yada, yada, yada. But Patrick Beverly being viewed as a wing quote, yeah. quote unquote, that's where this yes. matters. Right. Because, because he is going to have to basically nominally be a small forward in a lot of ways and guard up a position or two positions um, defensively. And you and I have talked about this a lot, but like what you are on the court from a position standpoint is who do you defend? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so if, if Beverly, that's one way in order to free up some minutes Right. Is that if Beverly can capably guard small forwards, then that does kick up LeBron to power forward. It does kick up AD to center and it does allow you to do some other things with your rotation in terms of who plays in the backcourt. Right. But. One of the things that I'm interested in seeing is. Can we talk about Austin Reeves a little bit within this? Because Point Austin Mm -hmm. is an interesting idea to me. You and I have talked a lot about like, hey, what position is is Austin Reeves? And like, I've said this to you behind the scenes that I think he's actually more of a point guard than he is of anything else. He actually started the game the other night defending Chris Paul. And so talking about like, you are who you defend. Austin's defended Steph Curry before when they've played the Warriors he has good size he takes good good angles defensively he moves his feet well he's a guy who I think is going to need to play more minutes he is I think he should be guaranteed a key rotation spot but how do you then navigate that 
when none has been playing really well. We still haven't seen mm-hmm. Dennis, right? And, and those are two other guys that are point guards. They don't have a lot of defensive versatility where they can guard a bunch of different guys. None did defend some shooting guards, and, and I think he will have have to do some some of that here as well. But it's I don't know where things are going to go with this. And, and so talk to me about where you see Austin versus none versus like the impending Dennis return and, and like how it's all going to shake out because these are battles that someone's going to have to win, quote unquote, and win with rotation minutes. The fact that we went to that small lineup and remember it was intended to be AD to start the second game rather than Wenyan and he was a late scratch. But the concept of that, like that is the closest you can get to kind of squaring that away in that in those lineups, it would be, you know, it's so that was Russ, Austin, Pat Bev, AD and LeBron is is the idea. And so Russ and Pat Bev can guard up relative to their positions. And so that puts Austin in the the place to be able to guard a little smaller uh, or, or to guard ones. Once you get to the bench lineups, though, I think that's where it gets a little more complex. But it's also with respect to Austin, I think one of the reasons why, like, oh, Austin may end up starting. It's been a wild ride. Like after the first game, I was like, oh, is if he's going to kind of fade into the background like that, you're competing with other guys for minutes. And and after a couple of games, it's uh, and that idea in the second game, especially with how well he played, I think that it frames it a little bit differently. How the bench shakes down, I think that's also one of the places where if you're going to have Pat Bev guarding threes, ideally that's more uh, off of the bench. I'm also curious, and I want to wait to discuss this more and further when Mike comes back, but how you guys see our lack of wingness manifesting itself in the first few preseason games, Um, because I think that's a fundamental question. I think, and JTA even comes into this mix as well, where we're talking about the bench groups. He's been the primary three defensively in those groups. It hasn't been Pat Bev. He's been more at the two. And so that's something, how that all shakes down. I wish I could tell you, man, I've written out this rotation many times. And it's one of the reasons I'm so fascinated about camp is because every version of it has two guys really that have a good argument of playing that aren't in it. And so where that goes, yeah, that's one of the fascinating things about camp. So I know we've only got a few minutes left, but one guy I wanted to talk about really quickly is Russell Westbrook. So he did not play last night. One of the things that's interesting on a team with so many guards And we just talked about the idea of Point Austin to a certain extent. None had a very good showing at this as well in terms of scoring and getting in his own shot. But there's not a lot of like natural guys who are just like, I'm comfortable running an offense Mm -hmm. sort of guys. Now, to be fair, we haven't seen LeBron have to do a lot of that. And we know he, he is always a default guy that you could turn to and say, hey, give the ball back to LeBron. He can set the offense up. But I've been interested in this idea of has Russ, his value as like a point guard, just like I'm a point guard. I've played point guard in the NBA for a decade plus. Like, I feel like that's had some value that when he hasn't been in the game, particularly like he sat out the entire last game and then he sat out the second half of the previous two games basically, right? That that 
it was stark to sort of see like, oh, they're missing Mm -hmm. some of this with these other guys who are in here who this isn't really their natural thing. And so I just wanted to ask you quickly about Russ and, and, and whether or not you see that as a deficiency on the team behind Russ and then with LeBron sort of doing more big man things and like how do you think that sort of thing shakes out in the relation mm-hmm. to camp battles because the guards are going to be super important and we haven't seen Dennis yet and so maybe that's where he fits in. Yeah, that's where I was going to go with that is I think it's an astute observation about the other because like Austin, when we talked about him as a one earlier, remember, it kind of went to like Austin is a triangle one. Austin is a Phil Jackson type of point guard, right? Which means he isn't the conventional I run the offense type of one. He can do that and he's got point guard skills, but he's not, again, a conventional one, whereas Russ is. That's what Russ has always done. But it's also what Dennis has always done, right? And so that point that you make about how during the Pippin minutes, especially, we don't really look that good uh, and we don't have somebody who's used to running an offense, then that that to me is where Dennis comes in because he is a guy that is used to doing that. He is the guy that that's the position that he's put in. So when we signed him, when, while already having one too many guards, it was like, man, this, this team's a rust trade away from making sense. And so while I agree with your point, I also think that Russ's games, the two games that he played, I thought he had a good first shift for the most part on both ends of the court. And then after that was bad. And one of the things that I'm noticing, and it's funny, this is something I, I need to learn a little more about what Darvin's doing. Cause I don't want to presume that it's like always four out all the time. And at the NBA level, there are so many variations where like you kind of bend it one way to get it back to the four out type of shape. So it's super interesting offense and and I'm learning more about it myself. But one of the things that stands out to me and that both Russ and LeBron do this is they like to bring the ball up the middle of the court. And that's something that guys who have always been the guy that you give the ball to and few players in NBA history have ever been the, the guy you give the ball to more than LeBron James and Russell Westbrook throughout their career. That's a one guard front. When you have that type of guy, historically, you have one guy at the top of the key and everyone else is winging below. This is a two guard front. The two slots that I, that we always talk about, it's a two guard front and it's less that type of style. But they're so used to playing that way, Russ especially, that he can get too far middle. And this is one of the coaching points I always remember from teaching this offense is your point guard a lot of times has that instinct to bring the ball right up the middle of the court. And it it changes the geometry of it in a way that that shrinks the purpose, which is to expand the driving lanes that there are there. And so one of the things I've noticed from Russ in these first two games is he's not used to these driving lanes. He's not used to attacking out of a two-guard front. And so he's made the wrong decision a couple of times in terms of which way to go. And so to get that value that you're talking about of I'm going to of having a guy that runs the offense and is used to doing that, he has to get used to that if he's going to be the guy to do that. Because there have been just as many possessions where he just threw the ball to the other team or he made the wrong read and caused a turnover or shouldn't have shot there, right? And again, the first shifts have been good, but with those hybrid units, those bench units, much less so. Yeah, his it's interesting because Russ is People, we've said this a few times on the pod, but it may not be common knowledge to everyone is that Russ is actually a naturally left-handed player. So he's, he is left-handed. He writes left-handed. He does almost everything left-handed besides like shoot a basketball, basically. And so Russ, a lot of times when you say he likes to bring the ball up of the middle of the court, that's true. But what he also loves, loves to do is veer 
He loves to oh, yeah. come that he left side. loves to come up the left side and then he loves to go right and cross over and then go back to the middle in order to then basically and then cross over again potentially and finish with his left at the cup, right? And this is and one so, of his go-to transition moves that you just described there. And so one of the things is though is that that is actually not always the slot to drive. The drive is actually in the gap the other direction. It's not always driving middle from the top. Like you can do that when you're coming around, coming up off of the curl from the dribble pitch that the big man has, right? And so I've seen where Russ has gotten in in trouble in a couple of his shifts during the preseason is he is running in to big players who were playing with high hands when he's in the pick pick and roll. And mm-hmm. he is then looking for passes that aren't necessarily there. And he's mm-hmm. had a couple of turnovers and it's like been those high hand turn turnovers where you're just like, no bro, like you actually need to string this out, back it out, or yeah. you need to be driving and kicking and looking for the corner and then relocating back to the other side while everyone shifts up. Right. And it's that sort of motion stuff that he doesn't, I'm not saying that he doesn't, get it but it's not natural yet for him and this is where in getting back to the stuff about Wenyan and some of the other guards it's like some players naturally have a feel for this and Wenyan does have a feel for being like the dribble pitch big up high and Austin Reese does have a feel for being the guy who comes off of handoffs and, and relocating from the corner and then what that looks like. And JTA does too. And uh, Kendrick Nunn does as well. All and of a sudden, to me, it's to no coincidence. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. That look like, okay, I know what I'm doing within this. And, and that may be the difference between who plays and who doesn't. And it does give you a bit of a head start. And so when we talk about these these camp battles, it's just like, well, some guys have had a, a head start. And what you do with that head start matters. And that's why I'm interested to see well, how does Brown look when when he comes? Because if he looks better than someone who has been here the whole time and been playing, well, that's a demerit against the guy who has been been here. If Dennis comes in and he's just like, oh, well, I played for these dudes. Back in Atlanta, I know what this is supposed to look look like. This is my comfort zone. If he looks better than Russ, potentially, then that's a demerit, right? And so these are things where it's like when we talk about the camp battles, it's like, where are you in the race? And some guys have a lead right now, but is it a lead by default? And I think we're going to learn a lot more over the next week about how things look with these guys and where they go from here. Excited to watch it unfold. This has been a very, very interesting preseason so far. Uh, Lakers got a game Sunday uh, against the Warriors. We'll be back on Monday to talk about it. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bat next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. 
Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.